Q&A Quest episode 130, a baker's dozen times 10. Mm-hmm. 10 baker's dozens of Q&A Quest. Mm-hmm. Please don't put this in the oven. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, uh, parent, baker, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always. Just a moment. What? What? He jumped out when it was his time to introduce himself. Okay, well then we'll just skip over to the actual Baker in the room. Hello, Michael Baker, Gaijimu no Gatari. The, uh, the co-host is having her lunch in another room right now. Yay. Sorry about that, Urgent. Uh, well, good to know that, uh, I don't know, lunch is good. I, I come out in favor of lunch. Uh, lunch. In favor of lunch, family master David Bernie won't be here next week. What Pax? I'll be at Pax. Pax. Cool. I mean, you guys can do it without me if needs be, but maybe we'll find a fill-in. Oh no! We'll bring we'll bring Maddie back. I'm about to, I'm about to get uh, about to get fired. We'll, Redundancies. We'll drive Mac. Oh, not Mac. Oh, my God. We'll drive Mike yeah, crazy that's... with talk of Yokai Watch. I mean, that's reasonable. That's normal. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we have some actual questions. Uh, I have been playing the Dragon Quest XI-S demo on Switch, and it's glorious. It's quite glorious. I've been having a good time playing Grandia, but also desperately wishing I could at least try the Dragon Quest XI demo. But I made a promise to myself. Uh, it's so pretty. I hear it looks very pretty. You can't play 2D mode though. Yeah, I that's wouldn't fine, anyway. But yeah, that's what the full version is for—to swap to that occasionally and sort of gawk at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <sighs> Gaijin, you had any uh, recent playtime? Oh, I've I've just been enjoying the first level of of um, Beyond the Labyrinth. So, <laughs> took out the first boss last night, and then forgot to save at a checkpoint and died. Oh, um, so yeah, I'm just going around and blasting stuff, having some fun. I, I figure once I actually complete the the first real level, I'll put it aside and go back to something else for nostalgia. <laughs> Maybe been... Dungeons and Dam next. A good choice. Nice. Yeah. I'll be on the I've been, uh, I've been, like, I had to spice up this uh, Grandia playthrough with something that I've never actually done, which is the bonus dungeons. The game puts about two thirds of the way through and gives no indication to the player that they exist. Oh, fun. Like, they're just there. You go, you walk up to them, and one of your characters, like, the first one, you walk up to it, and one of your characters is like, yeah. People from my village sometimes go in here. They almost never come out. So, you know, maybe don't do that. Hmm. And then I if think you wa- I remember those things. And then if you walk in, like the game, like the... It's not dialogue. It is just a message notification from the game that's just like, 
Yeah, this dungeon uh, doesn't affect the story, and also it's just here for you to mess around with the combat systems, so, you know, don't feel obligated to do this. Hmm. Uh, and it's a mean dungeon. It's a mean dungeon. It's very long, very large, uh, but... And, oh. Like, it has nice stuff in it, but nothing that you should really feel obligated to go get, so it's kind of an ideal bonus dungeon. Uh, so it's not a nasty dungeon, then? Yeah, you could absolutely get through it. Uh, but it if you aren't an optimized party, it's going to be tough. <laughs> so Wheels remembers what I mean by nasty dungeon, right? Uh, probably. Final Fantasy Legend 2. Uh... They stuck an they stuck an actual optional dungeon in the middle of it, and at the very front of the dungeon, there's a fairy that tells you that it's mean and nasty, so you better not go in. Uh, <laughs> you don't remember this? Uh, I think it's either I've, that or he remembers it too much. Yeah, because <laughs> I know we've I know I've mentioned this one before. Yeah, and so once if you manage to get through the entire dungeon, which is like twice as long as any other place in the game, and has like four different. Um, spikes in enemy difficulty along the way and you get all the way to the end and you meet the fairy again and she asks you if you agree if it was mean and nasty and if you tell her no she zaps you back to the middle of the dungeon and disables all of your teleportation devices oh god yeah yeah all, all of your I mean there are like three possible options for teleportation you can have and she will disable all of them including the one that she gives you at the start of the dungeon you will go back through... <laughs> the dungeon will become nastier until morale improves. No, what you do then is you, you just backtrack to the entrance. Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird to play them because I'm not used to bonus dungeons being like two-thirds of the way through the game. Like, that's super weird. Uh, like, they just come out of nowhere, like... The, the most indication the game gives you that they exist is if you... Because the compass always points you to the next area. If you hit, like, the R2 button, or ZR in this case, it will... Uh, it's supposed to take point to other exits, uh, and it will point to the bonus dungeon exit, like the exit to the bonus dungeon, uh, before it points to... Uh, the way back, which is the only thing in the game that indicates it exists. Mm. And there are two of them right next to each other. Like, they are both uh, alternate exits to the same general desert area. So it's just like, huh. They're weirdly spaced out. Uh, there's hmm. a third one later. But, yeah, I've never done any of them because... Again, the rewards aren't terribly good, but, I, you know, it felt right to, like, if I'm going to actually write a review of this version, and if I'm going to, like, try to spice it up a little and have experienced everything in the game now, I might as well finally do these. So, they're kind of neat. Uh, the second one, you just wander in, and it's like, there's just a dark, stormy castle right next to this desert, for some reason. Hmm. And... Mm -hmm. If you and like, there's just a person standing outside it saying like, "Yeah, um, so there is a like, my sister was a collector of weird objects and she found a cursed sword and now our dad is crazy." <laughs> and 
That's all you get. Try fixing the break the curse on the sword, maybe. But that's a much smaller dungeon, a much more contained dungeon. So, whereas the soldier's graveyard is just incredibly ugh, long and a giant maze. And also, neither of these have indications as to what the correct path forward is. The uh, compass in those sections acts like it's in a town where it just spins in circles. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So yeah, it's a uh, rude. I'll go with rude. Um, but yeah, Castle of Dreams is both, e well, not necessarily easier, but it's more forgiving and it has better rewards. It has one of the mana eggs, which by this point in the game, you shouldn't need a ton of, but it will allow you to at least fill out one of the characters magic, uh, mm -hmm. one of their magic lists earlier than you would otherwise. Yeah. So, yeah. How's Those the, are fun. How's the performance? Any bugs or weird uh, stuff? So the biggest problems that the, this version has, some of these are patchable, some of these I don't think ever will be patched. So the first problem, and the one I would suspect could get patched, is that the music doesn't always loop properly. Hmm. Like, it'll reach the end of a song, and then it'll hiccup a bit, and then it'll start the song again. Which can be irritating, because some of the songs are not very long. Mm. <laughs> uh, Performance-wise, it runs a lot better than the PS1 version did. Like, I haven't seen a, an ounce of slowdown in it, which is definitely not something I could say about the original. Uh, see. Uh, the other thing that mostly is funny uh, is that the game is not perfectly tailored to the fact that it is now in a 16 by 9 aspect ratio with a higher resolution. So you will sometimes see things that are not supposed to be on the screen. Hmm. Like, where... So, like, there were certain times in the original game where the game could feel safe loading a character on screen in a specific position because they're not supposed to be on screen. They, they won't be on screen until they walk a little further into frame. So you'll see characters in a couple of cutscenes. They will just phase into existence on the edge of the screen. Hmm. Or my actual personal favorite... There is a character who leaves near the end of the first disc, and he's like, I have to go on a journey now, and he starts walking off the screen, and then he reaches the edge of the screen, like, what would be further than the edge of the screen on the, like, PS1 and Saturn versions, but which is now the edge of the screen on the Switch version, and you can just see him standing there while your other characters have a discussion about what their next move is, and he's just sort of in a slow walk cycle, but he's not actually moving. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of funny to watch. But otherwise, uh, it, you know, it runs fine. Uh, it, you know, it's it's a perfectly good port. It is a good way to play the game portably. So, I would still definitely recommend this version. Excellent. Can't speak for Grandia 2 yet. Uh, ask me in two weeks. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's not on the Dreamcast, so it's already a winner in my book. Have you played the PS2 version of Grandia 2? Nope, only the Dreamcast version. Man, I didn't realize how much your hatred burned. Um, so the PS2 version of Grandia 2 runs at, like, somewhere between 12 and 60 frames per second, depending upon where you are. That's like, you'll just be running, you'll be running around town, and it'll just drop into single digits. Huh. 
Like the PS2 port of Grandia 2 is a, is bad. Uh, I remember one time casting a spell in that version of the game, and it just didn't do anything. Uh, I think it also might have soft locked in at least one spell animation as well. The, I remember the weirdest one was like was like walking through a town and just sort of black triangles appearing randomly. It really felt, at certain points on the PS2 version, like the game was literally about to break apart. So yeah, thankfully, the PC version didn't have any of those problems, and I fully suspect that the Switch version won't have them either. Sweet. So yeah. There's your Grandia status report. Next time, ask me about Grandia 2 and Astral Chain, probably. Mm. Can I also have the morning report? Uh, it's still sunny. The morning report. Yes, I've watched way too much Lion King. Help know, me. Send help. Um, would you like that help delivered ballistically or otherwise? Um, both. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> I've now seen the remake twice. Yes, this is where we are. This is, this is the life you have to live. Yes. Well, I actually kind of dozed off multiple times seeing the remake, so it's actually like two hours long or kind something. Of a, kind of a nice break. <laughs> Why is the remake two hours long? I I don't I don't know because everyone talks slower because they're animated like real lions. That's so unsettling. Yeah. Uh, Except with fewer facial. Um, facial um, contortions Muscles. and actual lines. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a full 30... That's almost exactly 30 minutes longer than the original. Yeah. I don't know what it's doing with that time. I mean, it's a perfectly fine movie. It's just... I, I'm still trying to figure out why all the effort to make a movie that's from the get-go inferior to the original. It just, yeah, yeah. It's, that's the main question of why... Like it's it's such a faithful remake. It's like if you're going to make spend that much money on a remake, you need to do something else with yeah. it. Well, I mean, in the worst the worst thing is the performances by all the actors are like fantastic. It's yeah, just, like they're all great actors I, being kind of wasted. Yeah, I would love <laughs> if these were in you know some sort of better animation. Well, I don't even want to say better. That's that's kind of unfair because the animation. That's I mean, there, it's very it's, technically accomplished. Yes, it's incredible. It's just yeah. I would describe why? it as technically accomplished. Yes, like I, I don't fully care for the art direction in general, but I mean, <laughs> it was clearly put together by people who were very good at what they do. It's just a shame that that's what what corporate told them to do. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, say lovey. In conclusion, play Astral Chain. Yes. <laughs> Support Platinum. The Astral Train. That's like the hype train, but it's for Astral Chain. <laughs> Going off on the rails on a crazy train. All right, should we get to our questions? Jam. Uh, let's see. First question is from Budai. As are the second, third, fourth, fifth, and tenth questions. Nice. 
What is the best handheld Zelda, not counting Breath of the Wild? Well, I mean, let's see. Which ones do we have to choose from that were designed as handheld to begin with? Uh, Link's so, Awakening. So, so yeah, uh, Link's Awakening, the two Seasons games, games, Minish Cap, and Link Between Worlds. Nope. Phantom Hourglass yeah. and... Uh, Phantom Hourglass Spirit and Tracks. Spirit Tracks. Spirit Tracks. Gonna... Seven, seven to choose from. I'm a Link Between Worlds guy. Yeah, Link Between Worlds is a really good one. Um, I thought it worked really well as, uh, like, can could you even call it a remake of Link to the Past in Times? Uh, it, it, it used a lot of the same areas and a lot of callbacks and a much, much better bandit hideout under the town in the Dark World. It's like, it's, I would say it's the, like, not as radically redesigned, but it's like the Majora's Mask to Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it is using, like, knowledge of the prior game to do something a little different. Yeah. I still liked Bl- um, the Blind, or was, it, was his name Blind? Blind Hideout, yeah. Yeah, I liked Bl- um, Blind as a boss much better in Link Between Worlds than Link I just liked hiding out, I just like literally sticking to the shield. That yeah, that was awesome, and him just looking around, going, "Hey, where'd the guy go?" <laughs> that was that was a gimmick I remember seeing in the previews and not being sure how much legs it would have, but they they made a lot of good use of it. The fact that you you can only defeat the final boss through an by thinking two dimensionally. <laughs> it's like I can't I can't hit him. He's blocking all my shots. What do I do? Wait a moment. Turn backwards. Oh, we're Shoot. in a big circle. <laughs> Yes. It's just a really clever game all around. Yeah. Like I like the the real competition here. Like I like most of these games. I'm not a fan of the Phantom Hourglass Spirit Track controls, but I like most of these games, but like realistically I feel like the competition here for most people would be between Link Between Worlds and Link's Awakening. No, it's Spirit Tracks because you can blow the train whistle. Wow. Clearly. Two two But yeah, um, Link Between Worlds was just all sorts of interesting things and en- enough that was completely different from everything that came before that was that you had to think about it. And I 100% Link's Awakening Link is <laughs> and Link's Awakening you can just you can only call it foundational. Yeah. Pretty much. Very it, important game. Yeah. I mean, love it or hate it, mostly love it. Um, it's still like even more than the three games that came before it, it is the basis for a lot of uh, oh, yeah. Zelda. Like between it and Link to the Past, or what they where they determined what Zelda was important, what was important to its identity. Yes. But honestly, I think you have to give it to Link Between Worlds in the end. Like as much as I love uh, Link's Awakening, and as obviously influential <laughs> it is, the fundamentally better game is. Link Between Worlds. Well, that's what you get for like having a good two and a half decades yeah. more experience in making the games. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, just considering, I mean, not considering the games in a vacuum, but compared to what the industry was at at the time they were made, Link's Awakening is insanely good. Yeah. It's a very ambitious game given its hardware as well. So. Yeah. That's something to be and, impressed. <laughs> I, mean, I know I've said it before, but you, 
a lot of times you can tell which games were made with a lot of love from the developers, and Link's Awakening was very well loved. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's even before you hear what the actual origin story for the game is. <laughs> so, which is just crazy in itself. It's like, yeah, we kind of just accidentally made a Zelda game. Can we can we keep going and finish it? <laughs> like, okay. Uh, but yeah. Well, then, which one do you think is the weakest of the seven handhelds? Probably Phantom Hourglass. Yeah. Like the fundamental gimmick it's built around just doesn't work. Well, even that, I'd say it used it overuses the features of the DS. Like there's, it very much feels that it needs to justify being a yeah. DS. You game. have to shout. Yeah, that, that was really common in the early DS period too. Just the the need to yeah. justify having all this extra stuff on there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm fine with touchscreen. I'm fine with lots of things, but uh, no, I don't want to. I'm not going to shout into the microphone. You aren't willing cat. to combat Paul's voices the way that Miyamoto intended? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. That was an option in the Famicom version. You could just shout into the second controller. Oh my god. <sighs> That's canon. <laughs> I really like all of the ways that they just sort of had to sort of ignore the fact that they hadn't actually put a microphone on any version of the NES controller when they were bringing over certain Famicom games. Mm-hmm. I think there was also an option to actually just shout at shopkeepers and Kid Icarus to lower their prices. <laughs> in the uh, in the NES version, there's just an arcane button combination that will do the same thing, but it, it doesn't have the satisfaction of just shouting at someone to lower their price. <laughs> You can pretend to shout at them, and yeah, that's the button for shouting. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, I just like even if I thought the controls a hundred percent worked, just the Temple of the Ocean King just doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. the amount of times you're going to need to repeat content, the amount of times you have to repeat content before the game gives you ways to do it faster. The fact that it's timed stealth dungeon like just combining the two things people like doing the least in most games yeah Uh, I know I mean I always like the hide and seek sequences in a lot of the Zelda games yeah Uh, but like in Oracle of Seasons where they actually literally made it a hide and seek game yeah but it's one of those situations where, like, making that and also solving dungeon puzzles while you're doing it. Yeah, that's just over. That's trying too hard. There's too. You're keeping track of too much, and eventually, because you have to keep resolving the same puzzles, they don't stay solved. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. <sighs> but yeah, I think we're we're in agreement that. Best link between worlds, worst Phantom Hourglass. Yep. Yeah. Alright. Next And up. everything in between that we can argue till the day is done. <laughs> Maybe if we have time at the end. Uh, what elements could make a good Star Trek RPG? Is the series in general too passive to work in a combat fueled game? Why does it have to be combat fueled? I think the thought process is that RPGs typically modulate uh, pacing via combat. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, 
Um, I would say probably try something like Quest for Glory. That'd be fun. Where it's more of a, an adventure game with, with occasional battles of some sort. Or um, Activision did a very good Star Trek adventure series that was basically the, an extension of the third season that never happened. Uh, 25th Anniversary and Judgment Rights, I think? Something like that? Yep. Yep. I remember playing through that one, at least the first one that they made. It was really good. Yeah, they were both... Uh, oh, what was it? They were both uh, point-and-click adventures, which fit the setting. Uh, yeah. And they also had some space battle fights, especially if you went to the wrong star and yeah, and you ended up as like, oh, this is an, an Andorian staging zone. Mm. They're shooting at us. Oh, boy. Let's go. I feel like uh, the, some of the other questions uh, Budai has here probably stem from some of the same thought processes, because he starts asking about uh, opinions on Mass Effect and KOTOR. Mm. And I feel like if you made a game that was like Mass Effect, but with less of an emphasis on combat, you would probably get to Star Trek fairly quickly. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, I remember in my old review for Zen, for Xenosaga 1 and 2 DS, mm-hmm. um, in describing the story, it was like, yeah, it's it comes together like a s- somewhat more cohesive season of Star Trek Next Generation. So I, I guess something like Xenosaga might almost work. Yeah, because that that put the raw emphasis on just storytelling, which is kind of the thing. Yeah, or specifically the DS version of Xenosaga, which cuts out a lot of the weirder stuff. That also helps. Or less necessary stuff. There we go. Yeah, but yeah, to to say it's too passive, I think, assumes a burden on RPG combat that is not strictly necessary. Uh, Yeah. Because, like, you know, you... He later brings up Bioware RPGs, and like the combat for a lot of those older ones is kind of like the dressing that moves you between like plot scenarios. And if you structure it that way, you can have a lighter amount of combat with more complex like scenario options. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if if you're doing it with Star Trek, you're going to have to have a good ensemble. Yeah. coming together, and quite likely your main character would be the captain, but your main combat crew would be like Mr. Worf and the away team. Yeah, you can actually kind of structure it like that, where your experience ends up being something somewhere between experience and like funding that allows you to upgrade yeah. your away team as well as like increase your uh, captain's ability to say negotiate with hostiles and such. But yeah, definitely more of a simulation element to it. Yeah, it gives you the sense of, like, you are the captain, but that's not always who you are. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it would be like some of the simulation and also strategy games where your avatar character is actually the manager of the army and you're just directing the units. Yeah, sort of like the Fire Emblem thing that's happened where, like, the command, the sort of combat strategist has become a unit that can do things, but, like, he's not the whole of the army. Yes. So yeah, I think I think there's a lot of ways to tackle this that allow you to either to modulate down the amount of combat or like make it more in character for the franchise without uh, sacrificing the nature of playing an RPG. 
But would any game studio ever be allowed to make it that way? Oh, absolutely not. No. Um, not even a little. No, no. I mean, I'm amazed that the Star Trek 25th anniversary game happened. Yeah, I mean, like, bear in mind that by the end of the 90s, uh, like five or so years after Judgment Rights' 25th anniversary, you were staring down the barrel of a Deep Space Nine platformer for your Sega Genesis and two different Elite Forces first-person shooter Quake mods. Those are not very good. They're not, it's true. Yeah, so yeah, the industry goes where they think the demographics are headed and the demographics are not necessarily focused on the kind of game that would make a good Star Trek game. Yeah, like I don't think that you'll... Uh, oh man, now I'm just remembering one of my favorite stupid stories that has ever uh, shown up on like any news feed, which was back in the early 2000s, right after Nemesis, when there was basically... Uh, very little activity in the Star Trek license, like Enterprise wasn't turning out so great and they were about to go into cold sleep for a while. But uh, there was a press release of like Activision uh, like suing uh, suing the license holder on the basis of you're not doing enough with this license to make it as valuable as what we paid for it. You need to exploit this license or it's or we're, or we're disputing the contract we signed. It was uh, impressive. Oh. Yep, it was an impressively uh, full bore capitalism in Broglio. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, at this point, you're more likely to get a good Star Trek game that is not called Star Trek. Pretty much spiritual licensees. I mean, the last Star. Trek game I am aware of that's not the MMO is the tie-in to one of the movies that is a Gears of War knockoff. <laughs> uh, I, was thinking, I was thinking somebody has to have tried to make a Halo knockoff with the Borg or something. Uh, no one made a Halo knockoff. The last time they made a Star Trek first-person shooter was, again, back when you would make a Quake knockoff instead. But uh, yeah. But they did do, like I said, a Gears of War knockoff to tie in with one of the movies. Which was not fitting. It was a very buggy game. Me and a friend played it just to laugh at it. It was, uh... It broke a lot. Gears of Trek. (laughs) Trek of War. Um, Yeah. The kind of game that has absolutely no reasonable support within the franchise itself as a style of game. It seemed like everyone involved was just trying to get it out the door because it was about to fall apart. Yeah. Let's see. I guess we can hit this next one real quick. What's the best vehicle in an RPG? Ooh. Mm. <laughs> so shall I... Is this a good time to bring in the game series we always mention? Of course. Yep. So, yeah... Metal Max has some of the most insane vehicles you could ever imagine because that's kind of the point of the series. A big um, stupid tank. Big stupid tanks. Big stupid red tank. Big stupid blue tank. Anti-aircraft guns. But let's talk about some of the weird ones. Um, so, Wheels, did you ever get far enough in Xeno to get the spider tank? Nope. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can get an. You can actually get a spider vehicle tank later in the game. That's good. That's a rare bright spot. <laughs> yeah, that's not the weirdest one in the series. 
Yeah. Um, no. Multiple games in the series have what's essentially a weaponized Shinto parade float. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, yes. Um, some of the enemies have things like helicopters and steamrollers, which are fun. But let's let's go with the bio tanks. Um, That's ominous. <laughs> there are two different games, um, two Reloaded and Mill Next Four, that have um, an option where if you if you can help repair the production facility, you can create your own tank. Uh-huh. Actually, you can create your own biological weapon tank. No, that and sounds like talk- a war crime, but I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about small pucks or anything. We are talking woolly mammoth. Good. Huh. Bio- bionic woolly mammoth tank. That's one of the options. Octopus tank. Beetle tank. Or my absolute favorite from Middle Max 4, um, if you, test- if you um, choose the right options when you're designing it, you can get a... Fuzzy pink Tyrannosaurus Rex with a flamethrower out of its mouth. Good. Into it. As your tank. And of course, we were not allowed to have this. Of, of course. Of course not. Of course not. Like, the, when, I, when you were saying spider tank, all mm-hmm. I could think of was if this wasn't Xeno, this would be a tank made out of spiders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, other vehicles in the series include... Um, like a road warrior style motorcycles and in the third game in the fourth game there was a meter made motor scooter hmm. which was very funny because you could just put an absolutely massive engine on that thing and cover it with armor plating and then park it in a spot and move move was essentially a 120 meter rail gun onto it from storage and it wouldn't be able to move because of the weight but it would still have all the armor on it for when the giant boss aircraft carrier slowly comes down the shore and initiates combat, and you're trying to blast at it from a distance with your howitzer. (laughs) (laughs) With your meter-made motor scooter rail gun howitzer. Oh, my God. There's a lot of of adjectives here, and all of them them are a little bit more terrifying than the previous one. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Yeah... You, you, um, you could do things in that game, especially on the new game plus when you just carry over a lot of the or all the weapons or have the option to. You can customize your new game plus. So. One day. One day, yeah. I choose to believe in my heart that one day we will get a proper Metal Max. I'm just waiting for the day that everyone realizes that, hey, we can just uh, re, um, refurbish all these DS games for the Switch. Yeah, just put this 3DS and DS game on there. Like, Capcom literally just announced, hey, we're just going to put all the Mega Man Zero games and Mega Man ZX and Advent on seemingly everything, so. Yeah, I'm I not just sure saw if that's that even announced. Twitter. That just it's got like, leaked. Oh, cool. It begins. Yeah, like, it is the first time I've seen a company that's just like, oh, we can, if we're willing to do a little bit of legwork, we can still put DS games on other things. There's nothing stopping us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we don't, we have very minimal costs in actual production and a built-in fan base that, who would love to be able to play these games again. Yeah. And we're doing it with some of, with possibly our last popular games from that series. So. 
Oh, yeah, that does remind me I would be remiss not to mention Yakuza 3, 4, and 5 got announced for Western release, baby. They're coming out Woo! over the course of the next six months. <laughs> Woo! And they've had their translations updated, which is also worth celebrating. Yay. I don't know so what's wrong with the original, but woo! Uh, it's mostly that they were kind of tied down to some of the poor choices they had made with Yakuza 1, and they uh, hadn't yet decided to make a clean break and, you know, just, just get rid of some of those choices. Woo! Uh, notably, there's a few characters that they just sort of kept the weird, re like, low-effort renames that had gone into them. Mm. Uh, there's a few... They had to make one major change to naming choices that had been made. The uh, English, uh, the English orphanage in three's original release was called Sunshine, and that was kept for a while out of a sense of tradition until Yakuza Zero happened, where Majima runs a cabaret club also called Sunshine, hmm. <laughs> and the hmm. localization the localization people were very direct in saying these aren't supposed to be named the same thing and it would be really bad to have the implication that Kiryu mm. had named an orphanage after a cabaret club. Mm. So we're just changing it to the Japanese name Morning Glory and like they've just gone, they've gone back and retrofitted the translations so now they will all refer to Morning Glory Orphanage not Sunshine Orphanage. Whoops. Even though that would have been so perfect to actually name the orphanage after a cabaret club. <laughs> But yeah, so that was that was uh, that was one of the more notable obvious changes. They've done some touch-ups to the translations. Bits I've seen look like they're really good. So, you know, sweet. Yeah, because as usual, it has the physical edition. I really appreciate because it comes with an empty PS3 box that you can put the Yakuza <laughs> Five disc in if you really want to. Because <laughs> it's just like, well, we didn't do a physical PS3 release, but if you want to feel like we did, here's a PS3 box that you can put that version in. It's one of the more hilarious extras I've seen them do. Yeah, because it also comes with just like a PS4 case with, that has space for multiple discs. Because there's a 3 and 4 disc and a 5 disc. Nice. Uh, yeah, that, that disc version comes out in like February 2020, because that's when all three will be out. You can purchase the bundle now, but only three is actually out. So yeah, Yakuza, I recommend them. They're good. Yeah, I got, I'm on zero right now, so I got a bit of catching up to do. You got zero, Kiwami one, Kiwami two, and then you can do three, four, and five, and then you can do six, and then Judgment, and also this week they're supposed to talk about Yakuza seven. Oh dear. <laughs> it's been like two years since we've heard a single thing about Shinryu Gagotoku, so I'm excited. Yeah, but when can I play Sorry. them on my Switch? Like, I'll apparently be able to do with Overwatch soon. <laughs> oh, man. Something has been leaking like a faucet recently. I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah. Not that I'm I complaining. Feel like, I feel like there's probably internal resistance to the idea because the one time they put them on a Nintendo platform, it was the Yakuza 1 and 2 HD remasters on the Wii U, which... Oh, boy. There's a lot of problems with that sentence. That's the wrong uh, platform. The wrong platform, the wrong games. Those games needed the updates that they got in the Kiwami versions. Like, two, you can get by with Yakuza 1, though. If you pick up that collection cold and you start playing Yakuza 1, you're just you're going to get turned away. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Yeah, if you like, I could. I feel like it would be wise of them to port like Zero and Kiwami, but I don't think they will. I don't think they could get the Dragon Engine games running at a reasonable spec. I'd like to see someone insane try, but uh, those are very demanding games on PS4 hardware. I can't imagine what they do to Switch. It's fine. They're giving me Panzer Dragon. I can't. can't, I still can't believe that's happening. Can't (laughs) ask for too much. Yeah. So, uh, when am I getting my uh, Shining Force 2 remake? That. When are we getting the Shining Force 3 remake slash compilation? Yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Why would you think that's less likely than Shining Force 2? Because uh, we've actually gotten re-releases of Shining Force 2. Yeah, but I'm saying if you're doing a remake, you're already starting the code base over. Yeah, yeah it's not going to happen. Hey, Wheels, did you play the Shining Force 1 remake on GBA? Yeah, I did. Shining Force, Resurrection of the Dark Dragon. And I was eagerly awaiting for the Shiny Force 2 remake on GBA. Ah, oh, Legend of the Never Happened. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> what a great subtitle. Legend of, but... I had a dream that it happened, but it didn't. <laughs> oh, that was... I've had the dream the game happened and woke up and felt cheated dream. Mm-hmm. Did you legitimately dream that one? Cause, uh, uh... Probably pro- I'm sure I did. This man, at least once. <laughs> I mean, I think I've told the story about how my brother, quote unquote, lent my copy to someone, and I didn't get to play it again for years. I don't think that's what happened to it. I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, but he yeah. stole it, yo. So I really wanted to be able to play that game, and like not through emulators because those are not always the best. And I came here to call out your brother. <laughs> it's fine. It's all fine now. It's all water. It's all in the past. Water under the bridge. We're all good now. He gives me stacks of uh, uh, codes for the p- online Pokemon TCG, so I can't really complain. Completely broken by uh, like, Pokemon TCG. By, by which I mean like hundreds and hundreds of cards. So. Ow! Okay, no, no questions. He he, collect, uh, he collects the cards. Has no interest in playing the online game, so he sets aside because every pack and like other product for the Pokemon TCG come with codes for the online game. So he says, "How has that not been stolen by every physical card game? I don't understand. I I, I don't either. Uh, Magic has done it for like a few starter decks. That's it. Hoping, like they aren't willing to commit to it on that yeah. level." But, yeah, so he sets aside all those cards, and every now and then I get giant reams of these code cards. That's horrifying. And and here's the thing, and this reflects poorly on the rarity distribution of the Pokemon TCG. Despite all that, I still have to do things like trades and occasionally, rarely, buy some digital cards to get, like, a fully competitive deck. Because that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, we always, if you're ever in the area, I, I'll just take you over to the secondhand store nearby that actually has uh, just binders full of cards, and you can just pick and choose which ones you want from the last five or six most recent uh, uh, my cards. Nice. Yep. Yep. So pricing ranges from thirty. 
30 yen per card up to over a thousand for some of the really nice GXs. That's cheaper than over here. I wonder how uh, I wonder how excited Wheels is for the recently revealed card where they just showed its HP total at like 370. Uh, the game seems to be coming in like numbers e- e- escalating power creep I guess but at least it's somewhat mitigated by some negatives like the giant tag team cards if one mm. of those gets knocked out you're in some deep shit <laughs> game over but yeah, the fact that most people, most competitive decks are using them anyway tells you a lot, so there you go. Yeah. And yeah, one of the, see, one of the ones they made is absolutely stupid. It's Mewtwo and Mew, which can use, can use the attacks of any GX, like, on your bench or in the discard pile. That seems dangerous. It's... It's... It's ridiculous. It's time, it's time to mill cards from your deck directly into your discard pile. It's just like... Ah, why would you do... Why would you make this card? I think my favorite tag team for pure stupid, not not in terms of what's, uh, what it can do, but just in terms of what they put in it, was Waylord and Magikarp. Yeah, that's a good one. There's also uh, Rowlet and Alolan Exeggutor. <laughs> Just hanging out. It's okay. The thing. And then Pikachu and Zekrom is the actual coolest one. The actual coolest one is Eevee and Snorlax. No, the actual coolest one is uh, Gengar and Mimikyu. Pikachu, (laughs) Jenna, and Mimikyu, (laughs) Dayo. They're all cool. That's the answer. It's like that line from uh, Detective Pikachu. Newsflash, they're all cute. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was one of my favorite line. throwaway lines in the entire movie. It's like, it's my job to make those little listicles about top ten cutest Pokemon. Oh, my yeah, grandma loves Flash. those. <laughs> yeah, new, yeah. Newsflash, they're all cute. Yeah. Uh, I love that movie. And it has, yeah. it has stood up to rewatch. I need to watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this really throws my bridge discovery out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Okay, let's hit another question. We can probably go through this quick. I don't think think Gaijin has as much uh, experience on this one. Uh, Was Mass Effect better than KOTOR? Which... Uh, which elements were better than each other in each when, than the other in each series? Does he mean? Yeah, I've got zero experience with either of these series. So. Ma- yeah, Mass Effect. Just keep one? talking. I'll listen. Does he mean Mass Effect One or like the series? I think he in means general. collectively since he refers to both series. Uh... Kotor ends better. Uh... It, yeah. Uh, I haven't finished uh... two, but I assume that one also ends well. Uh, that one obviously is unfinished at its ending, but its ending is also slightly more interesting. Uh. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know, because here's the thing. KOTOR, although it does a lot of, like, original and neat things, is still 
riding on the Star Trek license. Like that gives it a lot of Star Wars. it gives it a lot of built-in story and a, a lot of mythos and stuff like that. Whereas Mass Effect had to build it all on its own, and it did. It you know we'll not talk about the ending of the whole thing, but in like it general, does have an impressive bit of world building. I'd like that. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I do end up feeling that KOTOR does better, though, is the characters on your crew interact a little more in that. Like, one of the things that sticks out to me uh, in Mass Effect as I played through it, you know, the last time that I went through it, uh, is that characters interact with Shepard they only kind of acknowledge that each other exists. Yeah. That's an issue for a lot of game series, though. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But I think it's something that KOTOR is better at than Mass Effect, which is part of the question. You know, I I think I'm going to lean towards KOTOR, and this is kind of my reasoning here. It came out, at least the original did, when we were in the midst of god-awful prequels, and myself and probably many people were kind of down on Star Wars. And it just kind of revigorated my interest in Star Wars, and because it just it does such a good job of creating an interesting setting with you know the Star Wars mythos and creating lots of interesting characters that um, it, I don't know maybe they maybe some of them even influence some of the characters we've seen in recent movies like. Uh, but none maybe, of the KOTOR not, games had a foldable lightsaber. <laughs> Topical! <sighs> but, uh... Yeah, I think, I think, you know, like, it's easy to discount that a license gives you a base to work with, but part of making a good... Like, part of that is using the license well, and I think right. KOTOR 1 and 2 both use the license well, and for de- very different reasons. Yeah. Because, like... KOTOR 1 is a very traditional Star Wars story. Yes. Like, it wants to... Like, it has its twists and turns, but, like, it is very specifically, like, calling... uh, It is using all of the Star Wars, like, ideas, concepts, and themes in the way you would expect. And KOTOR 2 is written by someone that hates them. (laughs) Uh, And that gives it a very unique flavor, which makes it stand out both from its predecessor and from other Star Wars media. So... I and mean, that, and that twist in one, I still think, is one of the very best twists. It's a very good twist. Yeah, uh, and two's two's twist is very interesting, even if it's not. It's not. It's a weird twist. Like it is a weird game with a weird plot that ends weird. But I really respect everything that it's doing. I recommend it. If <laughs> if you've ever if you let that one slip by you, which I feel like a lot of people did, it was probably. Especially if you were playing on Xbox, where it was a game that they pushed forward from February 2005 into November 2004, which is why it doesn't end properly, but also why it sold much less than its predecessor, because they pushed it right next to Halo 2. (laughs) Fantastic work. A+. Well, at least you can now play it on X-Bone. Play it on Expo, you can play it on your PC, you can play it on uh, your phone for some reason. Um, is that one on phone? KOTOR 1 is, I assume 2 is, but I haven't I, actually checked. I don't think that one, well, you know, I haven't looked in a while, so I don't know. But I know there was a time. 
There was a time when only one was on phone. So broader point, though, is you should probably pay, play the PC version and maybe restore some of the cut content. Yeah. Uh, which might help fill out... Because it's not that the ending is bad, it's that it's obviously unfinished. Right. Like, it, you start to see places where it's just like, well, this bit isn't finished, we have to do a hard cut to the next bit. And so... But yeah. I really like KOTOR. Uh, I think that uh, it exists in a period uh, where fidelity of assets was small enough that you could do more interesting optional content. Uh, there is a side quest on Manan and KOTOR 1 that I think is one of the more interesting ones that BioWare ever did, which is like the court case one. You do that one, Wales? Uh, I probably did. I don't remember it. I want to say it's like it's like there's like a friend of Jolie Windows on there that wants that like you have to represent in court, and like there's a lot of ways that that can go based on how much you actually scour for evidence and what you figure out about what actually happened. So that's an interesting one, and like they do things like that occasionally in, like, Mass Effect 2 has a big courtroom sequence that's quite good, but they they very obviously, like, they cut down on the number of ways that those can resolve and the number of interesting things that can happen there. So, like, here's a bit of uh, Mass Effect uh, content spoilers for you. So that court case happens in Mass Effect 2. It's, uh, I believe it's Tally's loyalty mission. And there was cut dialogue. So, like, in that, in the course of that mission, it becomes uh, evident that her father has been killed in some fashion. Hmm. Uh, in the original version, there was a way to go through that area and never find his body, and the game would call attention. There's cut dialogue that makes it clear the game was calling attention to the idea of like he might still be alive because you never found him dead. Hmm. And they cut that idea out because it would have changed how the game would have required you to interact. They had to cut out, like, I guess that's one of the things that, like, because Mass Effect was designed as a trilogy rather than to be self-contained, a lot of things that sound interesting have to be cut down. Whereas KOTOR, it's harder to see where it's been, it's had to pare back its ambitions so it feels more cohesive. Hmm. So yeah, that, that would be my argument for generally KOTOR 1 is probably Bioware's strongest individual product. But, yeah. We should probably stop so that uh, poor Gaijin doesn't have to sit through more of this. Uh, oh, don't mind me, I'm just eating my cheese. Important. Yes. Do you have a final summation, Wheels? No, uh, that's about it. Let's see. Play KOTOR. It's good. Still good. Still plays well on just about everything it's been ported to. Upset that the PC version on GOG does not they went back, and the PC version on of KOTOR 2 that you get on GOG has a patch that was developed in, like, 2014 that just adds controller support to it. The PC version of KOTOR 1 does not have this. Huh. Hmm. Weird. Uh, let's see. Uh, even the phone version of uh, KOTOR supports controllers. Think about that. Because um, <laughs> why not? Because why not? How do you feel about the cliche of the main character that the main characters use swords and other characters use other weapons? Uh, swords look cool. 
swords look cool, and for Western RPGs, you have the stereotype of the knight with the sword, and Eastern yeah. RPGs, you have the stereotype of the samurai with the sword. And since like 90% of or more of all protagonists are male, then you have a standard phallic um, stand-in. Yeah. Cloud. There's, also, there's yes. also just like a lot of things that you can... You can you have a broad variety of sword options, which uh, in action games means that a character that uses a sword can theoretically be adapted to a number of playstyles. Yeah. So... So, okay, games with main characters that don't use swords. Go. Persona 5. Persona 5. What what does Persona 5? Pair of knives. Okay, that's really pushing it. Uh, It's pushing it, but I mean, it is not a sword. True. (laughs) You're not a sword. It's true, I'm not. None Uh, of us are the sharpest ones in the drawer, dude. Yakuza? I mean, yeah, that's that's yeah. a punchman. That's the punchman game. There Finish is a Yakuza eating. game. There is a Yakuza game where you primarily use a sword anyway because it's the trickin' uh, Kenzong. Yeah, but that you one's aren't specifically making... set in samurai period. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they they made one set at a time where you would use a sword, and they just made you use a sword. Okay. Uh, Terranigma. The... Oh yeah. Spears all the way. Yeah. Let's see. Or, well, for that matter, Illusion of Gaia, where most of the time your main character is whacking things with a flute. That's like a sword. It's just a blunt one. Yeah. Uh, like, I can think of other, like, cheats. Like, Grandia, your character, has multiple weapons, but, I mean, his best weapon is a sword, and it's not even close. Mm-hmm. So. Or any given saga game where you can just, you can generally just put anything on them. Mm. Yeah. Do whatever you want. Though, I will note that for the four protagonists of Scarlet Grace, um, one of the girls is a light sword user, one of them is a magician, and of the guys, one's a hammer user, or axe user, and the other one is, I don't remember what he starts, I think it starts out with a sword. So. They had a bit more options when they had multiple characters. Yeah. Especially when one of the protagonists is a professional headsman, <laughs> and when you at least when you recruit him in other pe- people's playthroughs, he comes with the axe with the interruption technique that basically it does massive damage by chopping the enemy in half. Mm-hmm. The section is powerful. Yeah. Let's see, I'm trying to think of like. Like, I can think of a lot of games where you have options to use other weapons, but the thing is that, like, if you have an option for swords, the sword is almost always the best one. Like, either yeah. by virtue of the fact that, like, it it's usually an all-around sort of weapon, or it's usually got, like, at or near the top in terms of, like, the best weapon in the game will probably be a sword. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of this goes back to, like, original Dungeons and Dragons even. Yeah. Where, <laughs> yeah, where the way it was originally designed, um, the uh, fighter characters didn't have all the good power, so the majority of magic weapons were geared towards making the fighters hit harder. Yeah. Like the game. So you had tons and tons of magic swords, not much magic everything else. Yeah. 
I think in games, it also comes down to the fact that, like, in, in an early game, it's very easy to communicate a sword without a lot of pixels. <laughs> that, too. So, it's easy to sort of, uh, like, communicate what your weapon you're holding, and so it just becomes like, well, that's... That, that sort of becomes the stand... It's already a fairly standard hero accoutrement, so you can just sort of keep doing that. Yep. Let's see. So are there any protagonists that are primarily archers? Hmm. I mean, Link almost qualifies. The Link and Link crossbow training. Yeah. <laughs> see. Uh, the main character of Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, yep, yep. Oh, true, true. Oh, man, this this did remind me of something I thought was actually really funny, which is another Persona one. So Persona 3, your character can wield a variety of weapons, and so mm -hmm. early in the game, one of your characters gives a tutorial about what each of them's strengths and weaknesses are. But, mm -hmm. I mean, naturally, your first weapon is a sword, so most players just use swords. Then... In Persona 3 Portable, they took out most of the other weapons you can use. You can only use short swords on the main character. Mm -hmm. But the tutorial explaining the advantages of the other weapons is still in the game. <laughs> like, if you talk to Mitsuru on the right day, she will give the exact same dialogue, even though you don't have the option to pick any of the other ones. It's beautiful. But, uh... Yeah, um... think of anything else off the top of my head where like sword isn't either like the implied default weapon or you know the actually the default weapon mm -hmm. yeah. of course I mean this leads to the next question of why why is it that the you sh generally, the principal female love interest is the one with the bow and arrow. Yeah. Which goes back to, first, keeping her on the back lines, and second, the, Jap the fact that Kyuda, Japanese archery, is quite popular with high school girls. Huh. Or, I mean, or at least they, most of the competitors are high school girls. Makes so, sense. So I, I know in some cases it makes a lot more sense in whenever half the cast is out of high, literally in high school, because that's something that they could legit. They might actually just have had some training around. in it. Yeah, that too. I mean, a little more, I mean, definitely more common than having a Naginata at school, <laughs> which is seems not impossible. It's not impossible. I had, there was a little sister of a student I once had who was, she was in first grade elementary school and she was learning Naginata. Wow, interesting. She was adorable, and while my the while the high school I'm currently teaching at does not have a Naginata team anymore, they do have picture or they do have photos of like 1996 national championship. <laughs> <laughs> anymore uh, is doing a lot of work in that sense. Yeah. <sighs> so at one point, yes, they did have a Naginata team <laughs> on campus. <laughs> Well, that's not prepared to be killed by that, but I mean, sometimes you gotta be. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really nice little spear, yeah. Yeah. But, 
as for what I think about this cliche as a whole, I feel like on some level there are weapons that it's really easy to work out how what like the damage radius of that weapon is and how like how far it's going to reach. Like it can be communicated very quickly what kinds of techniques this character is going to have, which is probably part of why it just sort of persists. Yeah. At some point, like, you pick something because there is a known visual iconography of, like, well, this does this and has X range, and yeah. It, at some point, you just kind of want to... There's no reason to rock the boat unless you've got a specific need for it, and usually the weapon is not communicating enough about the character to require them to be wielding something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I guess unless we have more to say about that, we could move on. Yeah, let's jump to the next one because it's kind of cool. In honor of DQ11 having a 2D mode, what game would be cool with a D-make? I've seen some interesting sprite art of Dark Souls and mm. D- um, out mm. there. Which would probably be more palatable for me to play because I just don't really like the Dark Souls aesthetic very much. Well, Fair enough. there is sort of a game like that already. Um, Salt and Sanctuary? Yeah, or... yeah Salt yeah. and Sanctuary. I need to try that one sometime pretty good um uh, i would love lots of demakes of early 3d rpgs because they are ugly like can't believe you would do that shining shining force 3 um looks like butt but it's a wonderful game so that, that would look great with a bunch of nice 2d sprites mm-hmm. uh think of what we could have had Shining Force Mania, do it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they've done like Super Nintendo or, or even Famicom style remakes of Final Fantasy VII. Yes. Uh, Chinese company, a Chinese pirate group did a Famicom version of FF7 that's very strange looking but kind of cute. Uh, FF7 has very striking art, so I mean, that's not a bad idea. Like anything with a very striking art direction that maybe didn't uh, pan out or stick the landing. Probably there a good go. choice. Honestly, Final Fantasy VII NES video game has its own Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. Of course it does. Yes. Uh, unofficial, unlicensed Shanzai remake of the Squaresoft role-playing game with the same name. Yeah. Uh, Panzer Dragon Saga needs a remake of any kind, and I will take it in any form. So, fine. Dude, you want to do a 2D? Bring it on. I mean, that would look fine, too. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I, I do feel like that really needs to be 3D. that to something. Yeah. How about you put that on Switch? How about you put it on something? Anything. On my phone. On the N-Gage. Please I don't, don't care do at this point. The, please don't do it on the phone. <laughs> oh, wow. They made this D-make of Final Fantasy VII in 2005? Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah it's been a while. I love that it's using. It seems like it's using like FF three as a base. Possibly, I approve of this. Uh, 
Yeah, it's it's remarkably ambitious for this sort of pirate product. <laughs> Yeah. Ambitious, but ambitious, but it kind of brings me back to you know the Lion King remake. Like it's a lot of effort for kind of nothing. Like it kind of made sense to sell it in the Chinese market, where you could, or like certain like Chinese speaking markets, where it's just like, hey, you could still sell pirate NES games in 05 <laughs> Yeah, Doug said it's more like we did it because we could. I mean that's part of it too, but I mean like it's certainly. A better use of your time than Mortal Kombat Special 56 People's Edition. I'm sorry, what? Mortal Kombat Special 56 People's Edition. What the hell is that? The Chinese pirate uh, Famicom Mortal Kombat part. Oh, that sounds horrifying. <laughs> that sounds horrifying. You don't know enough about pirate games, my I, friend. Let me tell I, you about Cart Fighter. I don't think I want to know. Let me tell you about Cart Fighter. No, please don't. Stop. Okay, let's see. What's our next question here? <laughs> Listen, someone, what is the best Mega Man RPG? Someone ask about pirate games. I got a lot to talk about. <laughs> best. So, was there ever a pirate character in a Mega Man game? If only. There's never been a pirate man. There's been a Skull Man though. Yeah. But and there was also Aqua Woman. Skull uh, Mania. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a mermaid. Um, Boss. Yeah, Splash Woman. It's the only female robot master in the entire series. Yeah, it was Mega Man 9, Splash Woman. Splash Woman, that was it. Mega Man, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw out the Mega Man X RPG and just. Man Mission? That game sucks. <laughs> whatever. I'm going to poop all over Battle Network and its ilk. Wow. I've never well, played Battle Network. The first couple Battle Network games were really good. Yeah. It just yeah, kind of wore out its welcome by number six. Yeah, no, I'm just being a troll. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> those are all. Those are pretty good. I would probably say like Mega Man Legends just cusps into RPG in my opinion. And I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's yeah th that one is borderline enough that you can get people to argue over it for quite a while. Yeah, but I'm just gonna say it because it's my favorite. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I unfortunately never played Command Mission, but I did play most of the Battle Network games, and I really enjoyed them. I've heard 2 and 3 are kind of the high watermark for that one. Yeah, two. I like 2 the best, I think. I played uh, a bit of 5 on DS, and it was really good. Yeah. I even liked we the... Uh, the uh, so four, I think 4 was the low point. I even enjoyed Star Force a bit. It's fine. I remember... Not enough to actually review it, I note. Because I don't think anybody reviewed any of the <laughs> no. Star Force games. We all these years late, decade later, and we still don't have Star Force reviewed. <laughs> Will, you've got a new assignment. Nah, I don't do reviews, man. Wow, coward. But uh, oh man, that does remind me of like I love some of the weirder things. Like Battle Network was kind of a big thing for Capcom in Japan for a bit there. And so they had like a lot that has a lot of weird kind of bad spinoffs. Yeah, I tried like, the GP Network game once. It was like okay. Was, I think my personal favorite is the one that somehow got the name uh, Rockman uh, .exe 4.5 Real Operation, what? which is just a terrible name. But have you played the GameCube platformer? Uh, yes, it's bad. It's really bad. 
see. But yeah, what is Rock the Band best? X what is the best Mega Man game in general? A Mega Man X One. Hmm. I know. I like the I like the first Zero game. That's fair. Yeah, there there are a lot of. I mean, there are just so many Mega Man games to begin with. It's really easy to pull out a good half dozen awesome games and mm. several others. You don't touch them with a pole. <sighs> the The real answer is X Two, though, because it has uh, Wheel Gator. Yeah, aware of what, that. Not, aware not the of soccer game. <laughs> oh. oh man, Mega what? Man Soccer. That brings well, like me the, back. Once you get into like the really bad Mega Man games, like uh, determining what the worst one is, also an easy, is also a difficult question that becomes very sad after a while. Um, the the early '80s PC only Mega Man game with <laughs> the three bosses. That one's really bad. That one's really really <sighs> bad. I, I beat it a few times when I was in first and second grade. I'm so sorry. High tech expressions did terrible things with time and space. Um, hey, it was my first experience with the series. I actually enjoyed it. So well, that that's more than I can say for my first experience with the series. My first was uh, Mega Man and Doctor Wily's Revenge on the Game Boy, which oh. is so so very unfairly hard. Uh, yeah, it's not a great version of Mega Man One slash Two bastardized together. Um, Anyway, guys, I, I need to step out for just a moment. I'll be back in a few. Sure. Okay, I'll ramble about Bad Mega Man while you're gone. Uh, Mega uh, Man or... Game Gear. That's a good one. Did you what, play Mega Man Game, Game Gear? Oh, yeah. Of course you did. Oh, of course you did. Uh, let's see. Super Adventure Rockman was not a good choice. Listen, man, there were limited choices of things to play on the Game Gear. I took what I got. I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about Super Adventure Rockman. Okay, okay. Yeah, go. Which well, is that's... the FMV game on the PS1. That's not real. That's a real game. That's not real. I refuse that's to believe real that's game. real. Do I have to find you footage no, of this? No, no, that's fine. Let's move on. Uh, let's see. The other... I'm trying... Oh, the other, like, Grand Booby Prize goes to something like uh, Rockman and Forta... Forte uh, Mirai no Chosensha. Fuck that game. Which was uh, Mega Man and Base for the Wonder Swan and Fuck that, that game's real bad. Game. There is YouTube vintage video footage of me playing that game somewhere. And me cackling in the, in the background. Yes. My God. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a real bad game. Oof. Uh, let's see. Do you feel there are any RPGs that end abruptly? A lot of them. Yes. Uh, I don't. I feel like this question requires clarification. So, like, I'm, like a lot of them, especially ones that think they'll have sequels, regardless of whether they do or not, uh, or even ones that do have sequels. Like, you, you ever played Dot Hack One through Four? Those, uh, one and through three, I should say, those just sort of stop. <laughs> Like, you'll fight something climactic, but they just stop. You don't get any idea what happened afterward. You just get a buy part two. That's fun. Uh, but yeah, I feel like th this could use some clarification of, like, memorably, like, problematically. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of questions there. Yeah. Let's see. The Madness prefers Battle Network 3 for best... Mega Man RPG, which is probably a good and choice. Can have, can have a fight with Gaijin later. Yes. Uh, uh, of all the upcoming games between now until the end of the year, which is the mo your most hyped title? 
Okay. So back, what are we talking about now? Uh, just started question. Of all the upcoming games between now and until the end of the year, which is your most hyped title? What's coming out between now and the end of the year? Alliance Alive HD. Of course, we also just want to play Alliance Alive again. Why yes, not? Well, why not? What else is there? Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven S Mega Super Switch Edition. Let's uh, see. There's the Atelier Switch. Liza coming out at the end of next month. Yeah. Uh, uh, Astro Chain, Death Stranding, Demon X uh, Machina. Oh, yeah. Uh, Destiny 2 stuff. Um, Borderlands Trace. Gears Gross. of Cinco. You're you're really flexing your Spanish at this point. Was that did I I, I got the right number right? Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> the, I'm just sort of looking at a release calendar. Uh. A lot of these are things that, like, I'm sure someone other than me cares more. Uh, outer, yeah. outer Worlds might be good. Yeah, and that's maybe on Switch this year or sometime this soon after. Yeah. Uh, Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 3. I still need to get through One two, and other, two. two other parts to be hyped for that. Those games are yeah. freaking huge. Uh, probably because uh, the four remastered. I'm sure that's like I, I can't in good conscience put that because like, like it's not my favorite Yakuza game, and there's other things I want to play. But so I want to I want to bring it up. Uh, uh, I, I generally don't hype myself very much over games that are coming out because I tend to buy them a lot later than normal anyway. That's healthy. Uh, Link's Awakening re remake. Yeah, Link's Awakening. Uh, uh, I'm sure someone maybe. I'm sure someone's hype about Code Vein. It's not for me. Uh, yeah, like it's not it's not the most crowded, especially for RPGs this year. But there's some good looking stuff. Dragon Quest, probably my answer. Yeah, Dragon Quest maybe. Uh, if I'm allowed to sneak out of RPGs, probably like Death Stranding. Yeah, I mean, there's other stuff, but honestly, I. Anything for like PS4, I just have not been playing, so it's not on Switch, and honestly, don't Please. think I care at the moment. Put things on Switch, just do it, everything. Yes. I they were remastering uh, Nino Kuni PS3. Remaster yeah. the DS1 Cowards. Yeah, they probably won't, but that would they be They won't, nice. but they should have. <laughs> Let's see. What is the best Diablo-style game that is not Diablo? Wheels is about to say Dungeon Siege 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just making a joke. I, I love that game, but I don't... It's not the best. <laughs> well, then we get into the nitty-gritty of why I don't think it's actually a Diablo-style game. <laughs> oh, wow. And I don't want to do that, so uh, I'm going to think of something that's else. Not. Yeah, that's a lot of stupid minutiae. Um, it's a tough question because a lot of them just like aren't that good. 
Uh, there's a reason that no one plays uh, the ones that aren't called Diablo. Yeah. Um, Borderlands. Huh. There you go. Gross. <laughs> That's my answer. Sorry. Uh, it helps that I would probably have said gross to most things. I'm not a Diablo style fan. Turn-based combat does it need to be. This is from Crawl, not Budai, by the way. Does it need yeah. to be party-based, or can it still be interesting with a single character? Um, uh, Pokemon. <laughs> Although but you still have party. you still have a party. They just yes, that's fine. that's true. Okay, okay. Uh, not talking about okay. soloing Final Fantasy Tactics for just Rosma, but mo- more RPGs like the original Dragon Quest, where you controlled only the hero. Any brilliant examples? Uh, Dragon Undertale? Fantasy. Let's see. Um, for the Game Boy Color, there was Soul Getter, which was a really cute little game. Um, had um, you know, small Dragon Quest style battles and an interesting magic system. So I'd say go with that one. Yeah. But you have to, you have to understand Japanese, of course. But oh well. Still got my copy somewhere back there. Hmm. Huh. There's not a lot of good single players for turn base, is there? It's hard to do. Well, I mean, not hard to do. It's just rare to do. Well, it's rare, but I mean, like it, it can be hard to make that interesting over the course of yeah. the entire game. Yeah. Like something like Undertale does it great because its battle system is just totally off the wall and unique. Yeah, it needs to do something crazy to keep you occupied, basically. Yeah. Where yeah. something like Dragon Fantasy is totally fine, but it has to be relatively short or it can kind of wear out its welcome. Yeah. So, like, Soul Getter was organized into sub-chapters, and you usually had puzzle elements, um, like out-of-battle magic application-type puzzle elements, hmm. which is good. Um, none of the... None of the main or none of the regular battles were very long, which is also very good. Yeah, you generally don't want to emphasize length in a system that simplifies. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, <laughs> yeah, um, Pal Shinkan Densetsu, the fa- last quarter of the game, it was just the main character. <laughs> yeah. How, i.e., how not to do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I think uh, Seventh Saga might also have been 1v1, and that might also be another how not to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah, I can't think of a lot of games that actually try this. That aren't just, like, by that point, a lot of them just, once you're down to, when I'm down to one character, a lot of them just turn into action RPGs. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh. I mean, like, even FF13, like, that's... Uh, not FF13. FF13-3, Lightning Returns. Uh, that's a one-player... B- a, a one player, uh, a one-character RPG, but that's still mostly action. It yeah. goes into the dimension. Uh, let's see. But, yeah, I think the, the high-water marks are the things we've already mentioned. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Victor has some stuff. Yeah, I think Let's uh, hit one more and then I think call it a night because I'm yeah fall asleep. There's a, there's only one actual question in here. I'll just hit the uh, hit the main beeps. 
Uh, looked up information about Dragon Quest Wars. It's just a handful of tutorial missions, no story. It's meant for multiplayer. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, nominate Mega Man Command Mission for Best Mega Man RPG and Best Mega Man Game. I'll fight you. And um, Best Mega Man Game? Oh. Okay. All right. So, with this, we will hit uh, the actual question here. Do you have a recommended order for playing the Zeno games? Gears, Saga 1 through 3, Chronicles X 2. Uh, oldest first, newest first, makes no difference. I would say, like, only the ones that give numbers in them care about the other ones, so... Yeah, so I would say, like, okay, for example, Xenosaga 1, 2, 3, then Endless Frontier 1 and 2... Actually, no, Namco versus Capcom. Xenosaga <laughs> yeah, uh, 1 and 2, Namco versus Capcom, Xenosaga 3, Endless Saga 1 and 2, and then Project Cross Zone 1 and 2. The most important timeline in gaming history. I don't know if he's yeah, necessarily... Because, at... I mean, this is where you get the fullest character development for Cosmos. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Nice. Including all five of the games that she appears in that are not Xeno, <laughs> Xeno, um Saga. Yeah, I don't think he's she actually... technically appears as a blade in Xeno Blade Chronicles yeah. too. But... I don't think he's actually asking like what story order to play him or anything. I think he just wants to know like, yeah. what out of these are the best. Where Where do I start? Well, I mean, you've got literally three separate series with yeah. very different play styles, very different aesthetics, and very different levels of actually being complete games. They're very much... Uh, Zeno has sort of become like the catch-all for made, like, directed by Tetsuya Takahashi. So... Yeah. Because I remember when it was first announced... Xenoblade Chronicles was announced as Monado, the beginning of Monado, the beginning of the world. So. And it's because nobody thought to take the O off of Monad for yep. what the actual meaning was. And then they never did. They never stopped. It's the Monado in the final game as well. Mm. But yeah. Uh, so I mean, like, it really should just be: what kind of game do you want to play? Like, if you want a PS1-style RPG, play Xenogears. If you want something very, very linear and story-focused, play Xenosaga. If you want something a bit more modern and a bit more, like, freeform, play Xenoblade. But I don't think it really makes any odds what version you're playing. Uh, everyone well, looks playing. neat. If yeah. you want something that has more super robot homages than anything else... <laughs> Yeah, Xenogears. Uh, it even has a Voltron-style transformation sequence. Get ready for uh, Faye to shout, I hate gears and fighting, and then keep getting in the robot anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, otherwise, like, I mean, like, I don't think that... They're, the very loose connections that the meta franchise has are enough to make one, like, to make... A play order really matter, so yeah. If you're in insistent on playing all of them, like I would probably just play them in the release order, by virtue of the fact that like if you're insisting on playing all of them, you might as well see how they progress. But it's not because there's any particular reason to do so. Yeah, it's just as good an order as any. But that's signing yourself up for like 500 hours of gameplay, so. <laughs> Be keenly aware. I choose you choose at this fate of your own free will. But yeah. Uh, otherwise, we have 
a question from Strawberry Eggs that we will get to next time. Save it for me. I will be back one day. <laughs> uh, I have a lot to say about Tales of Symphonia Dawn of the World. New World is all I'm going to say. So. Yes, I've never played that one, so go ahead. Save it all you want. Save it for me. I have things to say. Is that like the, the Tales Pokemon one? Tales of Mine? Uh, uh, kind of. It's the direct sequel to Tales of Symphonia that's also very clearly a low-budget spinoff that I happen to quite like. Interesting. But which was not well received. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, so we'll we'll discuss this uh, next time. I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, uh, thank you guys for the deluge of questions that made this a much easier podcast to do. Uh, <sighs> you can continue to deluge us with questions via. Uh, Discord or the comment section. As you can see, it's much easier for uh, on us to find things in the comment section. But if you DM us on the Discord, it's much easier for us to keep track of those as well. So pick your voice. Yes, we are not bothered by DMs. Let's see, uh, unless they're about Breath of Fire. I'm not bothered by those. I'm just you. You probably won't like the answer you get. Uh, <laughs> but I promise that one day I will play them again and reevaluate them when I don't have so much on my plate that's killing me. Uh, I got things to do next week. I won't be here. They might do a podcast without me. Uh, <laughs> we'll see quite shortly, won't we? <laughs> otherwise, uh, like questions in the usual place. Uh, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. Oh. Oh.